Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 27 minutes now to 9. Good morning. Time for your Mediated Conversation this Thursday morning. As you probably know, tomorrow is World AIDS Day. And if you have to look at the shape of our society now, you can see how this pandemic has shaped and formed our society over the last 40 years. Many people have families that have been affected by HIV. It has all sorts of long-lasting impacts. But there's also a huge amount of brain power being focused on research into HIV. A lot of clever people trying to stop trying to find ways to stop the disease from spreading and trying to help people who are living with HIV. We'll update you on the science of HIV today. First this morning, Patrick Ndlerche is the Deputy General Secretary of the Treatment Action Campaign and Head of Community Programs at the Centre for AIDS, the AIDS Programme of Research in South Africa. We'll ask him about the impact of HIV on our communities and the impact it continues to have. Then you'll hear from Dr. Decebo Potroane. She's an expert in the prevention of HIV and on the epidemiology of the pandemic. She's also the principal investigator for the Vaginal Live Biotherapeutic Randomized Trial. And Dr. Sharina Mohammed is examining new technologies to try and stop young women from being infected with the disease. She's also looking at what are called neutralizing monoclonal antibodies. I've no idea what those are, but I'll ask her in a few moments. We start then with Patrick Ndleche. Patrick, good morning to you and thank you very much indeed for your time on SAFM this morning. Good morning to you and good morning to the listeners at home. I started off by saying the HIV pandemic has shaped our society. It's had such a huge effect over generations. I presume the disease is still having a big impact on our communities today. Uh, indeed, um, we come a long way as, as a South Africa in responding to HIV. Particularly, we are in a very, very important uh, as a country where we have a lot of people already that are on, on treatment uh, and HIV is no more at that sentence. So this particular World AIDS Day is worth actually to celebrate. We see the people, the number of people living with HIV, it's called the HIV prevalence rate. It's come down very slightly. What do you think has made that happen? Why has the number come down? Is it significant that it's come down, or is it just too small an amount? Uh, the number is significant. Uh, however, there's a lot that has actually contributed to that, uh, particularly is a different collective uh, efforts that is done by our government, the civil society, meaning the community itself, business and labor and others. Uh, but then we are making sure this time around to make sure that we are grounding our HIV response. Because of that, we are saying let the community lead uh, to make sure that we are ending AIDS in our, in our lifetime. Uh, there are a lot of things also that go into that and the biomedical interventions that we currently have in the country, meaning uh, the provision of PrEP to make sure that we prevent young people from uh, getting HIV, but we still have a lot to do to make sure that we are also investing uh, significantly, uh, particularly on behavioral change, because that is a huge part. If you look then to say, if you look then uh, generally, then we are finding that uh, there are a lot of um, young people that are still getting new infections. So that is really, really problematic. So we need then to make sure that in this last mile on ending AIDS towards 2030, we need to make sure that we are grounding our response. Also looking at the national strategic plan uh, where we are saying let it be community-led but also let be youth-driven to make sure that we are reducing the new infections and we are preventing unnecessary death. So the UNAIDS, the 1990 um, targets, 
as a country, we are there, we are doing well, but still we need to do more because whatever that we've been doing for the past 30 years is not going to end HIV by 2030. So we need a new innovative ways. It is for that reason then we, why we are saying let the community lead. So the number of people who are contracting HIV, I think official figures might be released soon, but the number of people contracting it is still very high, worryingly high. Uh, indeed, uh, it is for that reason why I'm saying we need them to start to invest on a community-led uh, programs and interventions uh, to prevent this new infection. But particularly the, 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 the next level of in intervention and investment uh, should be, uh, we should be youth, uh, it should be sex workers, it should be men having sex with men, because that is one of the challenges. Uh, also, it should be prisoners, because these are our key population where HIV is mostly high. So once then uh, we're able to put a significant investment and, and pay attention and be deliberate uh, on making sure that we are stopping new infection amongst this key population, then we will be doing a significant change then in terms of impacting HIV before the end of 2030. We know that people who take ARVs, so people who are HIV positive, who live with HIV, who take ARVs are able to live a normal life. And when I say that, I mean that medically speaking, you can live a medically normal life on antiretrovirals. It will suppress your viral load. But does the fact they have HIV still have a big impact on their daily life? Or even someone described it to me once. Uh, sometimes people can feel, yes, I have a normal life, but I still have this thing, this virus, this disease inside me. Mm. Um, generally, uh, as a country, we have uh, actually moved uh, from the where HIV was perceived as a, as a death sentence. It is for that reason why they kill Umamu Kukudamin uh, on the World AIDS Day uh, in 2008. But today, uh, because of the life-saving treatment, we have shifted things around. It is no more a death sentence than people start then to accept. Uh, and we've seen life improvement and all that. However, um, the internal stigma remained as a serious issue, which uh, we are not even investing sufficiently in that regard to, say, to then to make sure that people accept that they are HIV positive and then they take their treatment accordingly. Uh, because of, of, of stigma, then you find that people also start then to discriminate themselves. And then it hinders people from accessing healthcare services. So those are some of the things as a country where we need also to invest to make sure that people get necessary support. Also, the psychosocial support for those that are newly diagnosed. Because if you look at why people are defaulting on treatment, one of the reasons is because of, of the internal stigma. And then also people that are not ready to take a treatment. So those are some of, of, of the issues. But then we need to invest in all these things to ensure that uh, people accept their HIV status. And they are also, uh, we build uh, psychosocial support uh, uh, within the communities. It is for that reason that we are saying let's build our communities, let's empower our communities to assist those that are HIV positive then to continue to take their treatment uh, accordingly. Patrick and Blairchip, thank you very much indeed. Head of the Community Programs at Caprisa and also Deputy General Secretary of the Treatment Action Campaign. You with SAFM, 19 minutes to nine. Your mediated conversation on this, on HIV and where we are with the pandemic continues. Dr. Decebo Potloane is a site director of the Caprisa Volendlela Clinical Research Site, also an expert on the prevention of HIV and on the epidemiology of the pandemic. Dr. Potloane, good morning and thank you for your time. Morning, Stephen, and I'd like to greet all your listeners as well. 
you track the epidemiology of the pandemic, and we've seen for a long time that KwaZulu-Natal has the highest number of people with HIV. Uh, KZN used to have the highest population in the country, Gauteng does now. Is there a particular reason why KwaZulu-Natal seems to be worse hit by this pandemic than other places? Um, Stephen, I think there are a lot of factors that could influence these numbers um, and a lot of research that's going into understanding why um, the pandemic the pandemic moves as it has. Um, if you look at KZN specifically, you find a lot of districts that still have high numbers of new infections um, occurring every day. Um, and in fact, uh, the Vulindlela area and district is one of those where um, we're still seeing a lot of infections, especially in young women. So I think, um, you know, understanding uh, the pandemic still has, uh, well, we still have a long way to, to go in fully understanding um, the pandemic and understanding how, um, you know, this virus moves and infects new people despite the work that's been done. Um, so, yeah, we're very excited about the, the research that's happening. Um, Mr. Mkecha, you know, alluded to, um, you know, innovative ways to find, um, that we need to find to, to reduce infections. So, yeah, we, we're quite excited about um, what has been done and what's currently being done um, in, the, in the HIV prevention world. You're running something called, and I need to get this right, the Vaginal Live Biotherapeutic <laughs> Randomized Trial. What kind of therapy are you testing? So, um, Stephen, just a bit, a bit of background. Um, we're looking at a condition called bacterial vaginosis. Um, and this is a, a condition where um, you find that in the female vagina, there is an imbalance between the good bacteria that is there to protect us and the bad or harmful bacteria um, that puts us at risk for um, adverse reproductive health outcomes. So what we are trying to do with this um, with the study that we, in short, that is called the Vibrant Study, we're trying to um, develop, we have developed a vaginal probiotic um, that will essentially put the good bacteria in the vaginal canal. Um, and we're hoping that that will be a way that we can shift um, the, the vaginal um, environment towards one that is optimal and healthy for women. We find that this condition, um, bacterial vaginosis, increases risk um, for HIV acquisition. It increases risk for preterm births um, and, you know, changes in the, cerv in the cervix, in the cells of the cervix that can um, that can develop to cancer. So this is quite a, an important condition to look at. Um, especially when we're looking at decreasing infections in young women. So, so we have a product that... Go on. Uh, yeah, yeah, we have uh, a product that will be testing in women um, that have this condition called BV, and um, we'll be doing multiple tests to look uh, whether the product is safe and whether it's effective against preventing um, recurrent, uh, a recurrence of, the, uh, of bacterial vaginosis. There are various things that are going on here. And one of the things, obviously, is to try and stop the transmission of the disease as much as possible. Um, what we have seen mm -hmm. is that people on antiretroviral treatment, if it suppresses, uh, I'm not sure I quite understand the science of this. Uh, so please stop me if I get it wrong. But if you lower the viral load, if you suppress the viral load enough, the idea is that it won't, that that, that person who is living with HIV won't infect someone else. 
Is that working as a sort of strategy? Is that kind of going to be one of the major ways that we're able to stop uh, this disease from spreading? Or is it going to be a bit more difficult than that? Um, Stephen, I absolutely think it is working. I think it's one of the reasons why we're seeing a decrease um, in the in the prevalence of HIV. Although we, like Mr. McLeisher has um, said, we are not where we need to be as yet. So um, what you are talking about is what we call treatment as prevention, or the U equals U um, campaign, which means undetectable um, means untransmittable. And like you had mentioned, if someone that is living with HIV is able to um, continuously take the antiretrovirals, have the viral load suppressed to a point where it is undetectable um, on our, our viral load test, that person will not uh, transmit the, the disease to, to their uninfected partner. So it's one of the strategies that we um, that is very important in decreasing new infections, that people living with HIV need to be on treatment. And not only that, they need to have a suppressed viral load um, to protect the, the HIV negative partners. Um, with all of that, of course, it does mean that they have to be able to take the antiretroviral pills regularly. If there's just one problem in one hospital in an area of a stock out where there aren't antiretroviral drugs, suddenly we could start to see an increase in, con- in the contraction of new cases there. So, yes, it works, but it does also mean that a lot of other systems around uh, the people living with HIV have to work too. And there's always going to be a bit of a risk there. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do need a continuous supply of medicines for people that are living with HIV. Um, and I believe uh, when COVID hit um, the the world, we saw a decrease uh, in people being able to access treatment. So um, we do as, you know, organizations on the ground, as communities, um, as government facilities need to make sure that people um, have continuous access to their medication. Like, I'm, like I, I, I said before, this is going to be an important strategy for us to um, to lean on when trying to, to decrease the, the number of new infections that are occurring. Are you optimistic? I mean, yes, we have targets, but are you optimistic that actually we are going to see a real change? I mean, you know, I'm reminded that 20 years ago, um, it seemed impossible to believe that people would be able to live uh, the medically the same life once they'd contracted HIV as someone who hadn't. And that's exactly what's happened. Do you think we'll be able to make uh, the same sort of rate of progress in the next 20 years? We'll also, there'll be more breakthroughs and we'll start to see a real change. Um, I am cautiously optimistic optimistic Stephen um yeah there's still a lot of work to be done but I I definitely remain optimistic um in our abilities to do so we just need to make sure that we're partnering with communities we are partnering um as organizations that uh, are based in the community we are partnering um with stakeholders to make sure that this I mean this target is not going to be reached by any single organization um so I think the partners between organizations between facilities and communities is going to be a critical one but I I definitely think this is um, a target that we we can achieve as um, as a globe. Thank you very much indeed, Dr. Decebo Potlani, the site director at the Caprice of Willendlele Clinical Research Site. In a moment, Dr. Sharana Mohammed uh, will, of course, talk about that phrase, neutralizing monoclonal antibodies. If you want to know what those are, you'll need to stay with us. It's 11 minutes to nine. 
Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continue your mediated conversation around HIV ahead of World AIDS Day tomorrow, eight minutes now to nine. The time, Dr. Sharina Mohammed is a medical doctor and a specialist pathologist in clinical microbiology. Dr. Mohammed, good morning and thank you for your time this morning. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, listeners. My name is Sharana Mohammed. Thank you for having me on the show. My apologies. Thank you. You work with a thing called neutralizing monoclonal antibodies. What are those? <laughs> so, yes, you've got the name right. And, you know, it's really, really important, as Patrick and Sebo have already mentioned, that we have come a long way. AIDS-related deaths have fallen by almost 70%. And we have new infections that are at the lowest point since the 1980s. But the problem and the challenge that we have is that young people, especially women in South Africa, continue to have new infections. And therefore, we need to end that. That's the way to end the HIV epidemic. Um, One of the ways to do this is an effective HIV vaccine. But we know to date there has been no effective HIV vaccine. So we are looking at several other technologies to prevent um, HIV in women, especially young women in South Africa, as I said, because the new infections are very high in that category. So you mentioned broadly neutralizing antibodies, and I'd like to actually talk a little bit about this new strategy, the use of broadly neutralizing antibodies for HIV prevention as passive immunization. So what are these broadly neutralizing antibodies? So Stephen, when you get infected with an organism, your body is able to block your virus and other infectious agents by making antibodies, which are proteins. Now in the case of HIV, People who are infected typically produce antibodies to the HIV virus. But because the HIV virus mutates and and replicates really rapidly, antibodies are largely not effective at controlling the HIV virus. However, after years of infection, some HIV-infected individuals produce highly potent antibodies called broadly neutralizing antibodies. And just for the listeners and for your sake also, Stephen, you can commonly refer to this as BNABs. So these DNABs, they target different sites on the HIV envelope. And when they bind to these sites, they are able to prevent the HIV virus from attaching to the human cells. Now, when we test blood samples containing these DNABs in the lab, they are able to neutralize, which is almost deactivate or diffuse a wide variety of HIV strains. Sure. Okay, so, I mean, if you can get this to work... It would, actually, it would actually be a way of preventing HIV from, from going into someone's body. Yes, the, the, the virus would get in, but it wouldn't actually be able to do anything to the, to the human cells. So it stops them binding to the cells. Is that right? Yes, correct. So what's exciting is that the Caprisa team, together with several collaborators, is currently assessing two of these body neutralizing antibodies. And they are called VRCO7523LS and CAP256V2LS. Now, please don't be intimidated by these scientific names. DNABs are typically named based on a combination of factors, including the target that they have, their structural characteristics, and even sometimes the research group or the participant identification number. So on this note, and what I'd really like to say, is that the antibody CAP256V2LS was identified in a South African woman participating in a Caprisub trial that followed HIV-negative women over several years until zero conversion and after. So in this particular woman, identified and referred to as CAP256, which is where the BNAB gets its name from, several BNABs were identified in her blood in 2013. So one particular BNAB, referred to as CAP256VRC26.25, 
was found to be ex- exceptionally potent. And this means that it required very small amounts of the antibody to neutralize the virus. So that's exactly what you spoke about, Stephen. It attached to the virus and prevents the virus from attaching to the human cells, therefore stops the infection. In animal studies, this particular antibody was injected into rhesus macaques before being challenged with SHIV, which is simian HIV virus. And all the monkeys were protected, even at the lowest dose of antibody administered. So this was very positive results that we saw in the animal studies. Now, these preclinical studies led to the development of our Patrisa 012 trial program. And the story ties in so well with what Patrick spoke about as well. You know, let communities lead the theme of this year's World AIDS Day. As this antibody was discovered in a South African woman, the first trial started in South Africa by South African scientists in collaboration with our community advisory board and together with several other collaborators. And it therefore shows the importance of the community from the inception of the trial and ongoing as well. So just some information. To date, we have conducted the first in-human phase one trials of this antibody alone and in combination with the other antibody I spoke about, VRCO7-523LS. And what we found was that the antibody was safe and at six months, BNABs were detected in the blood of the participants and they were functional, meaning that they work. Now, this safety has been established. So it does not mean that the antibodies prevent HIV. We have to move on to larger trials. So currently, we've moved on to the phase two trial. And here, we are evaluating whether these BNABs are able to prevent HIV in women. And if they are able to prevent HIV, what level of antibodies would be required in the blood to do this. So the trial is expected to end at the end of 2024, and results would be available by mid-2025. So it's very exciting times as well. And how do you get the antibodies into someone? Do you, do you inject them? Yes. So uh, a very good question, Stephen. The idea is that these antibodies will be administered subcutaneously. Now, this means that it is put just under the skin, and the area that can be injected is the stomach, the thigh, or the upper arm, using a needle similar to an insulin needle that a diabetic would use. So this type of administration to prevent infection is known as passive immunization, in contrast to active immunization, which occurs after a vaccine. So when you get a vaccine, the vaccine trains the immune system to generate antibodies and other immune responses to help prevent infection. Now, with passive immunization, it requires that the end product of the vaccine, which is the actual antibodies, is delivered directly into the body through an injection. Thank you very much indeed, Dr. Sharana Mohammed. I really do appreciate the time. Um, uh, a very clear explanation there. Now you know what those antibodies do and how they work. She's an expert in clinical microbiology at Caprisa. You heard also from Dr. Decebo Potloani, the site director of the Caprisa Vulindlela Clinical Research Site. And starting us off today, Patrick Mbleche is the head of community programs at the Center for the AIDS Program of Research in South Africa and the Deputy General Secretary of the Treatment Action Campaign. World AIDS Day, of course, tomorrow in just a moment, I think, to remind ourselves of how important this pandemic has been and continues to be in our society.